Lord, the healing and grace we long for, whether we know it comes from you or not, uh, we look for it in so many things. And we ask today that you would work in this gathering, in our midst, uh, to make us a people whose longings are beginning to be fulfilled in and through Christ by your Spirit. As we pray in your name, amen. All right, grab a seat. Welcome to everyone. My name's Craig, and uh, I'm a pastor, and I'm the pastor of this church, and this church is just getting started, and, um, and so it's good to be together. And we also want to make sure that um, we're always a place that several things. One, everybody is welcome to be, and as Chris mentioned, we believe all people have been made to reflect God in the world, and so everybody should be honored, respected, um, as we come together in every place. Okay, that's one thing. Part of that also is that we have a place to ask questions. Um, I know before I became a Christian, it was really great to be able to ask questions. And that's a, this is actually a place where we can do that. We can, have, we can listen to God's Word, the Bible, which we believe is authoritative. But then we can ask questions about it. It's not, not an either or, okay? So that's, that's a lot of what we're about here at Redeemer Fellowship. So we've been looking at the book of Mark. And so if you um, look there in your guide, your worship guide, we also have blue, little blue booklets if you want a, a Bible. It's just the book of Mark and you can take notes in it or whatever. Um, that's great. It's back there. If anybody wants one, just raise your hands and who will someone get them? Anybody need one? Come on. Don't be shy. Okay. If you want one, they're back there. You can get up at any time to get one as well. So where we are um, in the church today, and not just this church, but the church in America, is there's really a sense of powerlessness. If you look at the way the church works in the culture as a whole, in this city in particular, you know, it's really all about building a church. Most individual churches think about building their church. But when it really comes down to it, it's powerless making very little change in our culture. Now, we don't want to get, I'm not going to speak at that a lot today. I, I don't think that's the, the, the main thing to do out of this, this passage, but this passage really speaks to that. And so let's look at uh, reading from Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. And I'll just go ahead and read, then we'll tell you about where, how it's coming down. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And Jesus answered them, O faithless generation, how, am, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy threw him to the ground, and he fell to the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has he been, this been happening to him? 
and he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father (laughs) cried out, of the child cried out, and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him, and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Lord, teach us. Uh, We need to know you and your power. And would you show us how that works and how you work? Amen. I, I received in my box, not my email box, but like mailbox years ago now, a little memo sheet. And it said simply this. It said, prayer meeting canceled due to lack of interest. Please, therefore, note the following cancellations. Conversions, growth, compassion, revival, God being glorified. However, the following activities remain unaffected and will continue as advertised. Hell, sin, suffering, and Satan. We do sincerely apologize for any inconvenience caused. Now, <laughs> uh, I had this reaction to it. I both went, huh, like, that's not good, but it's really funny. And so the satire was not lost on me because it gets under the radar, doesn't it? It's like, well, that is kind of the way it can work. And that's what's going on in this passage, you see. What's actually happening in this passage is that we see that there's this power that comes um, through faith. And that faith comes out or is manifested, if you will, in prayer. Okay? So there's a power that's released. And it, and it comes out as people believe and show that in prayer. So we're going to unpack that just a little bit today. Uh, and then have some time to talk about it among ourselves. You know, it's, Jesus is coming down the mountain with Peter, James, and John. Uh, you may remember this, this event called the Transfiguration. It's where we get the idea of a mountaintop experience. He's there, and all of a sudden, the glory of who he is shines out. There's like a supernatural glory or a theophany. It's an appearing of God. And it's very reminiscent, as we talked last week, about Moses, the prophet, the servant of God, coming down from the mountain after meeting with him, and he's radiant. But then as he comes down, he hears a party going on. And the party is because they've made this golden calf, this god of their own making, and they're all dancing around and having feasts. And they're like, well, this is our real God. And so there's the same kind of chaos going on as he comes down. And so he's like, what is going on? And he, and he comes up to him and he realizes, oh, they're, they're arguing. Well, what are you arguing about? And then a voice comes in from the side. It's, it's not the disciples. It's not the scribes. It's this voice. And he says, uh, I, my son is seized by the spirit, this, this demon, this evil. Now, some of us immediately go, okay, well, I don't really know about all that. You know, it really? 
a demon, and it's, you know, I've said this to you before, it's like, well, you know, if, there, if we believe there's evil or bad in the world, why couldn't there be an ultimate bad? Like, some of us should be come to terms with that, like, okay, we may not believe this whole thing about demons, but we have to think about something. The writer C.S. Lewis, Lewis said it this way one time, he said, there are two equal and opposite mistakes we can make about demons in the spiritual world. The first is to say they do not exist at all. The second is to say they exist and to be overly concerned with them. He said they themselves are equally pleased with both. So as we come to this, what we want to say is, okay, what's going on? And it says this spirit was doing all these things to this kid. It's a young man, probably in his teens, early teens. And it looks like epilepsy. A quick word on that. Our bodies, our spirits, our culture are more integrated than we know. So here's this spirit. It's a spiritual root, but it's playing itself out in a very physical way. You see that? So you see all these attributes, these, you know, as Jesus looks at this and diagnoses it, what's actually going on is he's saying, well, here's the symptoms I'm seeing. And these are all symptoms that are about this. It's about distorting a person and seeking to destroy that person. And that's what the demonic always does. It seeks to, distur- uh, dis- um, to destroy and to distort. Okay? So if I can make someone look like they're not a true human being, if, if somebody can look out and not be seen as someone truly made in God's image, that's very pleasing to me if I'm the demonic. In the same way, if I can destroy a person, if I can make them think their life is in fact so invaluable that they have no power to stop death, then that's a victory for me as well. So that's what's going on as they come down the mountain. And notice what happens. Everybody runs, it says in verse 15, to see him. So they've got this crazy thing going on. They've got an argument among religious leaders, and then these itinerant, the followers of this itinerant preacher. That's pretty cool. Like, that's kind of exciting. And then they've got this boy who is convulsing, and his dad is saying, he's got a spirit, can you deliver him? And then the disciples are trying, and nothing's happening. But when they see Jesus, they turn and run to him, and it says, they're astonished at him. When the disturbing presence of Jesus comes into a place like really comes into a place, guess what happens? There's an astonishment. And that word astonishment means both a fascination with and a fear of. So, for example, think of a bear. You know, I've had a chance to see a bear um, in the wild. It's always better, I think, to see bears behind cages. And I'm not an advocate for, you know... Don't worry, I'm not really an advocate for locking animals up in that way. But when you see a bear, it's fascinating because what you want to do is you want to get close to it. You're like, I'd like to get a little closer. I wonder what its fur feels like. Like, that is such a big animal. That's awesome. But I'm not getting any closer than this. You see that? There's a fascination with, there's also this fear. And that's what this word astonishment means. They run to Jesus because they're fascinated with him. And yet, they're also a little fearful. And so they come to him, and what's up? And this guy says, my son has a spirit. And the spirit is always seeking to destroy him. 
You know, there's a way you can actually uh, destroy artwork. Hopefully none of you have done that. Um, you know, one of the ways is you can spray paint over some quality artwork. I remember as a kid, we, you, you open a book and you're studying something and it would have a picture of Mona Lisa. One of the most famous pictures of all time, right? And you'll no, never fail, some kid would write a mustache on him, you know, or, you know, make her eyes pointy or put, you know, horns coming out of her, her you know, out of her head. And it was always like, yeah, what do you, but if you, people who really want to destroy artwork, Mona Lisa, for example, back in the 1950s, there was a guy who went into the Louvre Museum in Paris and got acid and tried to throw it on the painting. Uh, and it did damage it, but they were able to restore it. Uh, another way you can destroy uh, art that is done with oil on canvas is you just get your fingerprint and you punch your fingerprint up there. And if you keep it on there long enough, the oils from your skin interact with the acids in the paint and actually leave your, fun, uh, your thumbprint on there. Those are the types of things that are happening here. You see, this evil one is trying to put his fingerprint. He's trying to throw acid, as it were, on the life of this piece of art, this beautiful boy. So that he doesn't even look like a boy anymore. That image is destroyed. And then he says this, he says, you know, your disciples weren't able. Again, a slight, sort of a, a very you know, covert slight on Jesus. Like, you know, if you're really powerful, your disciples could do this, but they weren't able to do it. And, you know, here's what's interesting about that. Jesus had sent out his disciples to cast out demons, right? And they came back, they, we're told, and they're celebrating. They're like, this is unbelievable. We've been casting out demons, and they're listening and obeying. People are being healed of all sorts of diseases. And Jesus kind of gives us almost matter-of-fact, kind of off the cuff. He's like, yeah, I saw Satan fall like lightning. What a sight. You know, it's just like, well, of course. I mean, it's, you know, I gave you authority. And so it's just kind of like this, well, yeah, it's, that's what I saw. But we're seeing something a little different here, aren't we? And so they're kind of going like, what's, what's this all about? Jesus comes in, he says, bring him to me. Bring him to me. And then, not only with that, that authority... But also, with this compassion, he says, well, how long has this been happening? Like, I actually care about this. I care about this child's life, and I see him as a child. I care about you and your family. I care about all the pain this has brought all the way around. But you know what else it does? I think it actually accentuates the longing. This has been happening to this child since childhood, And now he's a teenager. It's been happening all his life. I don't know, the father's essentially saying, if I believe this will ever change. How's that for you? Do you think about it for a minute? Where do you, where have we gotten so used to things being a certain way that's broken, that's marred, that's evil, that's dark? that we think, well, this will never be different. It'll, you know, this will never change. And so essentially we've lost hope. We might think of it in different terms because losing hope can sound threatening to a lot of us. But you know, I'll, I'll give you a few examples in my own life. 
there have been some chronic diseases that both I have and other people around me, and they've not been healed, and they won't be healed. You see what I just did? It's been long enough in coming, that it's been, I mean, long enough in existing, that it's like, well, why would that ever change? Right? Um, that's actually pretty typical. I've been involved with, not personally, but someone says, I've been involved with relational patterns where I only get involved in relationships with people who are not good for me. I guess that's my destiny. Or my parents and their parents and their parents all got divorced. It won't be any different with me. Nothing will change. You see that? What is it for you? What is it for you where you've begun to, to lose this hope because of you know, how long it's been going on like this? It's difficult to change. And it's difficult to believe that people can change, isn't it? And then this man says something very interesting. He comes back to him and he says, these are the ways that the, the spirits tried to destroy him. But in verse 22, he says, but if you can do anything, have compassion and help. See, he's saying, show us this compassion, but then help, meaning give us your power too. This compassionate power. Both this, this fear, but this fascination. Can you bring that to bear on us? And Jesus locks in on a little phrase. He literally says, if you can, the word is, he says, the if you can. Like he said, I heard that. That if you can didn't sleep by, uh, sweep by me. The if you can? <laughs> you see what he does? He totally calls him out. He goes, I heard that word. I heard that little phrase you use. And you wonder if I can? And then he says to him, uh, the man says back to Jesus, he says, I believe. Help my unbelief. That is a beautiful way of describing the Christian life. If you're someone, you want to know what, is, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means this. You believe that Jesus can heal, that Jesus can forgive sin, that Jesus has taken all the evil of the world upon himself as the Holy One so that we can be changed. That we can actually be changed. And so, the if you can is that. I believe that's true, but I don't really functionally believe that's true a lot of the time. You know, it's like Lucas was saying a moment ago, we sing these songs and a lot of them we sing by faith. We sing by, that's what I long for. That's what I believe will happen, but right now I can only sing it with the hope that it could be true. That actually will be what happens. See, Jesus says elsewhere, he says, you know, the thief, the evil one comes to steal and kill and destroy. But what? I came to have that they might have life and have it abundantly. Now, how can he say that? These, the disciples can't cast out these demons, but why can he come and say, these come to kill and steal and destroy? They're going to kill you, but I'll overcome them. I believe, help my unbelief. Do you know Jesus never said that? Jesus never had to say, I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus is the man of faith par excellence. In other words, there's only been one human who has fully put his trust in the divine one. Fully. 
It's not been any religious leader of our day. It's been only Jesus. And he says, Lord, wherever you go, I'll go. Lord, who you are, I believe and trust. I believe that I'm the one sent by you. See, Moses comes down as a servant, right? He's a servant of God. Jesus is called the Son of God by God. And he lives into that faith, you see. Um, Not only that, he is the exact representation. He's the image of God. He comes in as the exact representation of God. So nobody's ever seen God. But we look at Jesus and we see him. And when we look at Jesus, we see God in a human form. It's as if God could, if God could ever be human, that's who he is. And he has been human. Okay? Not only that, Jesus is, he is, you know, instead of being a son who has a spirit, he is the son of God who has the spirit. All these things, and you know what, not only that, he is the sacrifice for us. If you look, this is a, look in verse, uh, where are we, see? Oh, verse 27. So Jesus, when he, when he calls him out, it says in verse 27, he took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. That language, lifted him up and arose, is the exact same language that's used of Jesus when he resurrects from the dead. See, what's happening here is Jesus is giving a preview. He's giving a preview of what his life will do to restore for some, it happens now. For others, it happens then. But in all these ways, there's a spiritual healing that takes place that affects everything else. Everything else in life. Every aspect, every sphere, every relationship, every thought pattern, every behavior. And what does he say? It's about faith. Faith is what connects power to us as we're connected to prayer. You see that? And he says, so... There's a prayer. And the prayer is not just any general prayer, like, you know, God help. Although that's not a bad place to start. It's not, he says, the prayer of faith. And it's not the quality or the quantity of your faith that matters. It's the object of our faith that matters. See, Jesus isn't saying, hey guys, turn up the amp to 11 and believe more. Try harder. You know, make faith a work. That you got to really, if I really believe, then you beat yourself up when you don't. No, he's saying, turn your eyes away from yourself, which is what the disciples were doing, right? There was a self-reliance because after all, Jesus gave us the authority. So now we can trust ourselves and go do this great work. Instead, he's saying, change your gaze back over to me. I'm the object. Quit trying to make your faith better or more, but look at me as the object of your faith. How do you know if we have that? It's this kind. Only comes out by prayer. Prayer has been described by P.T. Forsyth, who is one of my preaching heroes from centuries ago, a Scottish um, pastor. And he says, prayerlessness is the root of all sin. Prayerlessness is the root of all sin. It is the essence of human arrogance to say, I can do this without divine intervention. It is the essence of practical atheism. Or Henry Nouwen, who some of you guys may be more familiar with, Catholic theologian and a 
Um, he says it this way. He says, prayer is a way of being empty and useless in the presence of God. And so of proclaiming our basic belief that all is of grace and nothing is simply the result of hard work. Essentially, it's coming with our emptiness. Now, I want to take a couple minutes to tell you about a story in my life that, where this came true. I, uh, when I first started getting into ministry, I was working in youth ministry. And I was working with, um, with students. And, you know, things went from good to better. Like, people started coming to the church because their kids were getting into the youth ministry, right? The youth ministry was growing, and the church was going, this is great. And, you know, of course, nickels and noses mean a lot to most churches, right? And, and so that was all kind of, it was very exciting. But the longer I was there, the more people would come to ask me, like, can you change me? Like, kids would come up and be like, I don't have any friends. Can you help me make friends? Or I even started to have parents, and this is so odd because I'm like a kind of mid to late 20s, 20-year-old, and they're like, hey, um, we're having some marital difficulties. You know, this is some parents of kids, and they're like, can you help us with our marriage? Or, you know, I mean, it was like, all of a sudden I realized, we had this successful youth ministry going on, but I have no power to do anything. I can't, ch- I can't help anybody else change. I can't even change my own heart. What do you do then? What, what do you do when you see a power going on among people described by more and more people flocking in? And it sent me into a, a spiral of despair. It might be the first time that I can really remember going beyond just being a discouraged or you know, having a melancholy. It was like, I was like, what is life all about? If this is what it's supposed to be in ministry, but I don't really have what it takes to do the core of what it, what it does mean to do ministry... What do I do? And the Lord met me at that time. And essentially the impression that came upon me, and I don't want to get too into this, but I'm glad to answer questions about it if you'd like. And the impression, not direct words, but an impression, and it was simply this, described in words, minister the blood. Three words. Minister the blood. That's where change comes from. Change doesn't come by us doing better programs. Change doesn't come by being, having better preaching or better music or being more culturally relevant. That's not where change comes from. That's the way that in America we tend to think of church. Well, we have to do these things to start making, to really have an impact or to grow the church. And, you know. uh, no, you know what we need? We need the power that's released through prayer. We're going to pray in a minute which for some of us may be a really awkward thing, but don't worry, I'll lead us through it. And the question we're going to pray into is this. What is the, what is of this kind that we need to pray into? If this kind only comes out by prayer, what are the things around us in our own lives or in our community here or in the, in the city as a whole, what are the this kinds that we want to see come out? Okay? So that's, that's the idea of this. We, you know, we don't want to see these certain things canceled. We don't want to see a prayer meeting canceled, whether it's individually or corporately. And so we have all these bad things that we can expect or, you know, all the good things that we'd like to see happen don't happen. All the bad things that we do want to see ha- don't want to see happen, um, they happen. 
and that they remain um, unaffected and that we would sincerely, uh, sincerely apologize for any inconvenience. Right? So Lord, would you use these words that are your words uh, and even the, uh, the stammering, lisping words from me to bring the authority that comes and the power that comes through prayer of faith, uh, even as Jesus had, we pray in and through him. Amen.